Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today on the show, we're going to talk about something we don't hit on real often, lentils. If you're not familiar with this crop, we're going to talk about it a little bit during the show today. This is going to be great, Brent, because all the guys that are saying, man, it's getting hard to kill weeds in, you name the crop, soybeans, alfalfa, corn, cotton, whatever. All right. Well, listen to what the guys have to deal with in lentil production. It's even harder to kill weeds there, and there's still a lot of challenges. So you can make a lot more money raising lentils if you can keep all the weeds, insects, diseases out, and feed the crop right. Uh, It's kind of the same story, but just a few less options, a few less tools in the tool belt. So lentil, the lentil, is a legume crop. It is an annual just like when we're dealing with corn and soybeans and wheat, we're talking annual crops. But it's kind of interesting, like growing up here in South Dakota, there wasn't anybody around us raising lentils. Most of the production in the United States is in the Pacific Northwest, in North Dakota, and some of these other areas that are a little ways from us. And we didn't really eat lentils growing up. Now, granted, I didn't want to eat any vegetables. So <laughs> I, I, I wasn't real familiar with most vegetables at that point uh, as a kid. But, uh, but anyway, with lentils, there are many areas around the world where these are super popular. And even in the United States, I believe that the popularity is growing for consumption of lentils. So we're going to talk today just about lentils in general, we'll talk about weed control. Darren, when you started to mention the thing with lentils and weeds, I thought you were going to say, well, the lentil could become a weed in your corn and soybeans. Here's the thing about lentils. They're actually fairly easy to control in a lot of other crops. I'm not too worried about them becoming a volunteer weed, but if you're trying to kill weeds in lentils, that can often be a problem. All right. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag. All right, Brian, uh, a lot of fertility questions have been coming in, too. Um, variable rate. Derek asked the question, so would you variable rate your nitrogen in fields that have big swings in organic matter? And we talk about variable rate nitrogen in different yield zones, but what if I've got... Uh, ranges all the way from two to three percent organic matter up to some peat ground uh, in the same field 20 percent or more organic matter Uh, what would you do in that situation do you count on a lot of that 20 to 30 pounds of n coming out of those as as a big part of this we don't we don't have any ground that's 20 percent organic matter or even close the highest we've got is probably i don't know six so I, I I don't know what you're going to end up with exactly. I know this. When you're talking about organic matter levels that are ridiculously high, it can actually be problematic because it can tie up nutrients. It can tie up herbicides. It's just, it, it's, it's a problem. The other thing is, even with drainage, we usually say, hey, the higher your cation exchange capacity, the closer your tie lines need to be. Well, guess what? When you're 20% organic matter and your soil is ridiculously heavy, you'd have to have tile lines every few feet. It's crazy. 
So honestly, I'd, I'd just use some trial and error there. Would I consider cutting back? Of course I would. But then I keep testing throughout the year. I mean, it's only going to take you, let's say you did it for two years and you tested nitrate levels in that soil, let's say every couple of weeks during the summer. I know it's a little bit of work, but just go to the 20% organic matter area on your farm and test it every couple of weeks. Just send it in for nitrate. It's five bucks. It's not like it's very expensive or anything. And then you're going to know because then you'll literally see as the season's progressing, boy, are my nitrogen levels going way up? Are they staying steady? Is the crop using a bunch? What are we doing there? So would I consider varying my nitrogen based on organic matter? I would consider that. But in most normal fields, we don't usually have dramatic variation. The soil type thing does get to be a big deal, though, if we've got cation exchange capacity, like on our farm, where we're 20, 25, and then all of a sudden we hit an area that's 8 or 9 because there's a sand strip that runs through the field. Well, then, absolutely, we're cutting population, we're cutting nitrogen rate, we're cutting everything because in non-irrigated sand here in dryland South Dakota, it's tough to raise much yield. So that's usually how we're varying things. But yeah, you bring up a great point and I just encourage you run some trials on your farm and let us know how you turn out. All right. This one comes in from Dalton. He said, you guys talk about using cation exchange capacity as the base for your max nitrogen holding capacity. So 10 times your CEC is how much you could hold at any one time. Do you figure mineralization of organic matter into this figure at all into how much that soil can hold at one time? No. No, we don't because it's a very slow process. And so here's where I'm going. Let's just say you had 5% organic matter. We're going to figure that you're going to get 20 to 30 pounds out of that per percent of organic matter. So on the low side, 20 times 5 is 100. So we get 100 pounds. And then we're going to figure that's going to start coming available. Like in our region, it'll be May 1 all the way through, I'd say, the middle of October. But for easy math, let's figure October 1. So I got May, June, July, August, September. So that's five months. So roughly, that's 150 days just approximately. So in other words, I've got two-thirds of a pound that's coming available each day. So you see where I'm going with this. And it's not two-thirds of a pound each day, okay? It's a lot more in the heart of the, in the hottest at the hottest point of the year. It's a lot less at the other times. Okay, so if it's a lot more in let's call it July and August, well guess what? The plants are using a lot then. So we don't worry too much about cation exchange capacity, holding capacity of your soil in the middle of the summer when your crop is using multiple pounds of nitrogen every single day. Um, that's not really what we're worried about. We're more worried about in the off season and in the very early season when the crop is barely growing. So that's the reason why we're not usually talking about that particular thing. All right. Thanks for the question. I'm sure we'll have some questions today as we talk about lentil production on our Ag PhD radio show. Stay tuned. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. 
It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. How can Naturals products help you raise bigger and better crops? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Biologicals, or naturals as we call them, are impacting every facet of agriculture today, and that will only grow in the future. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals workshop, Wednesday, February 7th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of Naturals products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. If you look close enough, you can see the hidden potential within your fields. That's why an agro-liquid nutrition plan starts with the crop and identifies the precise combination of primary nutrients while focusing on the support of secondary and micronutrients. So every nutrient is working in harmony for your crop to reach its full potential, maximizing growth while offering lower use rates. Apply less, expect more, precisely. Find an AgroLiquid dealer at agroliquid.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about a crop that doesn't get enough play. It's lentils. We've had a lot of requests. Hey, we're raising some lentils. That's part of our rotation. Could you talk about them from time to time? And so today is the day. And we're going to talk about weed control, just crop production in general, um, and, and some of the various factors for being successful raising lentils. Uh, let's start off, we got Jeff Benton with us right now with Belsham. And, and Jeff, I mentioned to start the show that weed control is pretty challenging in crops like lentils, but there are some decent options out there, and I know you know about one of them. Yeah, well, actually this week I'm at uh, the MABA meeting in Great Falls, and I'm talking a lot about lentils. And uh, our tough 5EC herbicide is a great fit. Um, you know, there's years where those pre-emerged herbicides work fantastic, and, and they provide adequate weed control. But there's other years, if they don't have the moisture they need to activate them, uh, they need a product like Tough, And that's where we come in as a post-emergent contact herbicide. All right, so tough is something that a lot of guys think, well, wait a second, isn't that a corn product? Yes, you can use it on corn as well, but there, there are several different crops on the label. So this is one of the key things when we get into some of these smaller acre crops like lentils, for example. Uh, you might be using some of the same products that the guys in, in the big row crops are using. It, it just... Uh, you're like, whoa, that's a corn product. No, it's not. It's something that could be used in lentils as well. And Jeff mentions tough. The the big things with tough that we see are getting good coverage. And I think one of the things that I talk about in just about every crop that we're in, Jeff, is we really like to get out there early when those weeds are small so we can get the best coverage possible on them. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, this cannot be used, tough cannot be used as a rescue product. Uh, the, the, it has to be planned. And when it comes to weed size, we work best when that weed is two to four inches in height. Um, and when it comes to coverage, I mean, I know in Montana, one of the challenges we have is a lot of guys use 10 gallons of carrier. And, you know, really we need to be around that 15 mark. Um, we know that for every five gallons more they use of, our, of water, 
as carrier, we're going to have improved coverage and we're going to have better performance. I mean, 15 is better than 10, 20 is better than 15, but 15 minimum is really what we got to have. Hey, along those lines, Jeff, one of the things that we've noticed too, smaller droplets seem to make a big difference. Guys that are running towards the higher end of the pressure range on the nozzles that they're using, those small droplets seem to to get on those small leaves and stick really well and and, uh, cover throughout the canopy. That's been something nice. And then temperature. This is another comment I've got from a few guys. Man, when we're spraying on an 80 degree day, tough is just completely lights out. But if we're out there and it's 60, it doesn't work as well and i just kind of chuckle when i hear things like that what do you spray in a foliar spray at 60 degrees for let it warm up just a little bit it probably doesn't have to be 80 but what do you think the sweet spot is jeff well i mean the fact of the matter is when you look at our mechanism mechanism of action and how we work on photosynthesis it is true we work better on sunny warm days but you know we can't always control the weather that's one of those variables that's completely out of our control um, and when we got to spray, we got to spray. We're focused on that weed size. And if we wait for the optimal day, those weeds might be five to six inches in height and not the two to three where we wanted them. So the fact of the matter is, is as much as we'd like to spray on those sunny days, sometimes it's going to be overcast. Sometimes, sometimes it's going to be a little cool. I mean, we definitely don't want to go out and spray on a rainy day. Yeah, right. It's about right. an hour for our product to become rain fast. But I mean, you know, if, if we spray on, spray on a gloomy, cool day, it's just going to take a little bit longer to see those results. We're talking about the product Tough. It's a, a really nice herbicide that can be used. Contact activity doesn't have carryover issues, so crop rotation, there's no problem. And that's kind of nice when you have a crop like lentils and, and some of the other crops that often are used in rotation with it. Uh, we're talking about getting it to work even when conditions are tough. In corn, we one of our tricks, we like to add either atrazine or preferably atrazine and some mesotrione in there. And all of a sudden, we've got a nice three-way mix. Is there anything that you you would normally mix with in in some of these other crops like lentils? Well, that's a great point. When we look at tough on lentils, we're basically using it as a standalone, um, unlike corn. We do have some compelling data looking at tough plus metribuzin, um, a low rate of tough, say eight ounces plus three ounces of metribuzin. And people went out there last year and had very good control with lamb's quarter um, and, and kosha using metribuzin. Now, there's other places where they won't use metribuzin or they're just unfamiliar with it and are apprehensive, let's say. So what they've done is they've gone out at a little higher rate, say 10 to 12 ounces of tough with a uh, adjuvant, a low rate of, of, let's say, quarter of a percent of an NIS or uh, MSO, you know, volume to volume. And they've had good, good, uh, good luck with that as well. Yeah, lots of different things you can do to get a little bit more out of some of these products. Uh, talking with Jeff Benton here with Belsham about tough and uh, using that as a, a post-emerge herbicide in lentils. Jeff, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, good luck to you at the MABA meetings. Yeah, thank you very much. Have a good afternoon. You bet. You as well. Got Ryan Hunt with us right now uh, with FMC. Ryan, how you doing? Good, good. How are you guys doing today? Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. We're talking lentil production though. And I know some guys say, oh man, my crop, it's tough to control weeds and, and some of the other disease and insect pests, but lentils, it's, it's even a little trickier, even in fewer options than some of the other crops out there. What do you, what do you see guys switching to in lentils or, or what are some products that have been working historically? Yeah, so, you know, it's like you said, there, there's probably the least amount of options for lentils as there is any crop we grow up here. And 
North Dakota and Montana. And, you know, the big thing is starting out clean, getting them right away. Um, you know, we've had a lot of success in the past with an aim burn down. Um, more recently, we've been doing some Anthem Flex to get some residual. Uh, it takes a little more rain to get get it working. Uh, so we really like to see it in a fall application in this lentil country to uh, get that activation and get it rolling. And when we get it out there in the fall and get some good rain, we even get some good residual in the spring into uh, into those kosha problems and your green foxtail that's getting some resistance issues too. So it's, it's a really good foundation to get out there. Yeah, you know, you mentioned AIM, and this is another one of those products that just doesn't have crop rotation restrictions. And so a lot of folks like to use uh, AIM in burndown situations. It can definitely add a boost on kosher and some of the other tough weeds. And then you mentioned Anthem Flex getting that Group 15 residual component out there. Uh, we do a lot of that here, Ryan, even in our corn and soybean ground where we'll put products out in the fall just so we have a better chance to catch some rain. And it's a nice strategy when you get into dryland production. Yeah, it works great. And that kosher is about the first thing to emerge in the spring and especially when we get further north up here, you know, it's cold and usually a little wet and no one's out there and starts to get up, get away on you. gets too big for the burn down to work great. So that fall application really, really works nice. You know, you mentioned that, and, and this is something to think about. If you're raising lentils, and, and honestly, really any crop where you've got winter annual weeds or weeds that are going to be a real problem in the early spring, it is the coldest time of the year when you're trying to spray in the early spring, and it makes control difficult. And with some of the winter annuals, if they get established, they've got a great big root system. So now you got a big, tough weed that isn't taking in product. I like the strategy. I like doing those fall applications. You know, at that time, we see guys adding in some other products for a little bit of extra kick as well. And you can get away with that if you're doing it that many months in advance of, of when you're going to be planting. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a great tool to have. Um, I know there's a lot of guys, a lot more guys starting to do it, but we need to, uh, with all the resistant issues anymore, we need to start doing more of it just to stay ahead of things and kind of thin the herd. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, you know, with a, a lot of different crops being used up in North Dakota, I know you get to work in some, some interesting rotations up there. Are there any big rotational concerns with Anthem Flex? No, there's really not, uh, especially at the rates we're using, this three to four ounces. You're pretty pretty clear the next year for everything. Um, you know, you want to watch out dry beans the next year, little concern, um, and canola, just a growing season in between, and pretty much everything else. Um, you know, you put it down in the fall, you can come back with sunflowers, lentils, peas, soybeans, corn, wheat, I mean, just about everything. Yeah, keeping your options open is a great idea. We're talking with Ryan Hunt here with FMC. Ryan, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the info today. Yeah, thank you. Have a great day. You as well. Talk more about lentils coming up right after this. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. 
Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. For the smallest investment with the biggest impact on yield, upgrade your planter with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. To see how we stack up against the competition at a fraction of the cost, call us at 712-520-6051. At Commodity Classic, you'll connect with farmers from around the world as we explore new frontiers in agriculture. Join us in Houston February 28th through March 2nd, 2024. Houston, we have no problem. Discover more at commodityclassic.com. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll answer that question at our free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop Thursday, February 8th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep into your best options for control of yield-robbing pests, trade options including ExtendFlex and Enlist, fertility, and much more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and more fun, come to the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. Are you ready? We got the need, the need for seed treatment. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Taking a little different angle on crop production, talking about the crop lentils on today's program. I certainly enjoy eating them, even though we aren't raising them on our farm. Uh, but a lot of the products that we've been talking about here, we've been talking about Tough and AIM and Anthem Flex, and there's just a number of products that you say, oh yeah, I use that in this other crop that I'm raising, like corn, for example. Uh, yeah, yeah, we do. Uh, so there is a lot of crossover there, but there are also quite a few products that you can't use in lentils that you could use in others. So got to be a little fussy on some of these. And then, of course, if growers are raising lentils, oftentimes they may have some other crops in the rotation that we got to be concerned about as well. So uh, the crop protection recipe becomes just a little bit more tricky. Got Matt Smith with us right now with BASF. Matt, how you doing? Good. How are you guys doing? We're doing Thanks well. Me on. We're doing well. You know, we're talking about lentils. I'm thinking, man, soybeans don't seem so hard anymore for me. I got a few more options with the, uh, you know, biotech traits that are in there where I can use a 2,4-D or a dicamba safely in crop, or even Roundup or Liberty. I kind of like those things, but lentils, uh, we don't have those options. 
Yeah, yeah, no kidding. So uh, right now, I, I primarily deal with canola seed, and if you're wondering why why you have the the canola seed guy on to talk about lentils, maybe I can talk about that too. But sure. Anyway, uh, you know, you talked about chemistry and what's labeled and what's not, and if you go up to Canada, and you know, you, you'll see a lot more stuff labeled for lentils and pulses in general. And before I was, uh, you know, with BASF. I was with Bayer for about 11 years, and, and, and as these pulse crop acres, at least in Montana where I'm based, in western North Dakota, really, you know, that really came onto the scene a lot more or grew in, in numbers. Uh, you know, we struggled with finding stuff you could spray on them. So, you know, we did a lot of work to get stuff labeled, especially fungicides, seed treatments, things like that. So, yeah, you're you're right. Uh, it's It's – it's it's a little different and and you guys nailed it you got to kind of if if you want to grow lentils probably the first thing you got to start with is is what did i spray on my other crops that the year or maybe two years before because you know they, they, they don't tolerate a lot of stress from residual herbicides in the soil and then in crop there's just not a lot you can spray on them so that's one of the challenges but uh you know there's been some some things figured out and and, and they've done really well for for a lot of growers in this part of the world. So. Yeah, you mentioned seed treatments and fungicides and a lot of those extra things. It, it's really neat to see some of these crops like lentils that just respond quite well to those things. I mean, obviously you don't want to have disease attacking your seed or insects. That's that's really important. And, and disease in crop uh, is, is important too, as well as just overall stress tolerance. I, I know BSF talks about that a lot in general, just about plant health and keeping things healthy out there, giving your chance or giving your plants the best chance to compete. Yep. Yep. And that's why I brought the canola seed thing up because, you know, we've, we've got uh, your, your best integrated management or IPM strat integrated pest management strategy in lentils right now is just your what you're doing in, in these other crops because you get in some of these counties. I grew up in Sheridan County, Montana, which is as far northeast in in, in uh, Montana as you can go. So opposite side of the state from the from the Dutton Ranch for, for the Yellowstone fans out there, but uh, no mountains out there. We grow a lot of lentils, so if we we're producing, you know, half a million acres of lentils in the United States every year, that those are rough numbers that kind of go up and down. But a fifth of them will come from that county. So wow. I like the climate, you know. But you know, one thing we've noticed is is lately our rotations have just been too tight, and so we've got to work some other crops in in into that mix because especially our seed and soil borne disease. Uh, spectrum, it, the the root rot complex we're dealing with has 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 gotten really tough to manage. So we've got to space those rotations out. So that's a, that's that's probably paramount. And then and then when we're doing that in combination with the fungicide seed treatment package, foliar fungicides over the top, things like white mold, ascochyta, then that that's worked out uh, uh, well for guys versus you know continuing to to hammer like a durham lentil durham lentil durham p rotation you know working canola into the mix working flax into the mix things like that so we're spacing that rotation out maybe two or three years instead of uh one or two that'd be more ideal yeah 
Yeah, I totally get you on yeah. that. You know, talk yeah. to talk to us about the fungicide seed treatments because you're you're right. There are a lot of root rot type issues that are out there uh, that impact these kinds of crops. What are you seeing? BSF's got quite a portfolio of different fungicides, and and many of those have worked their way into the seed treatment market. And I'm sure when you look at the pipeline, uh, when we start talking about all these new actives that are getting used in uh, corn and soybeans and other crops, foliar, they're certainly looking at those as potential seed treatment options as well. Yeah, when I'm thinking pests and lentils, uh, just from a, a, a soil seedborne disease spectrum, I'm typically thinking Rhizoc, Rhizoctonia, Fusarium, and then maybe not as big of a concern in lentils, but getting to be a little more, it's a big concern in chickpeas is our seedborne Ascochyta. And so our, our base product with BASF would be obvious. Uh, so we've got three modes of action in there, specifically for Rhizoc. We've got a pretty good hammer active with, with the Zemium in there. And then the, one of the actives in Preaxor. And then something new, we're anticipating a label for uh, Relania here in the next couple weeks. And that's the active ingredient in Revisol, Revitec, some of the soybean growers maybe you got out there listening. Uh, so taking that active and, and bringing it to pulses, and that, that's, that's going to give us even more enhanced protection on Rhizoc and Fusarium and Seaborn Ascochyta. So we're excited about that. Yeah, yeah, that is really good. And uh, there, there's definitely a need for it. There's no doubt about that. Are, are 100% of the acres seed treated, or is there still, uh, there's still some guys that, that need to take a look at that and see what kind of difference it makes? I would say our pulse acres have a higher rate of seed treatment than, than say, something like a, the, the cereals that are going in the rotation. And a lot of this is either done by the farmer themselves or, or at a seed house if you're, if you're buying new seed. So uh, that, that takes that out of the equation if you're doing that, that. That would be treated. But still need to be treating more seed. Our biggest competitor out there right now is talking BASF. It's, it's, not, it's not the other manufacturers. It's that untreated acre. So. Yeah, and, there's, with the disease, and there's no rescue, yeah, Matt. Go there, ahead. There's no rescue. No, if you no. don't do that seed treatment to fungicide, nothing else is going to save you later on. Correct. Correct. So treat your seed, number one, and then and and like any other crop, if you don't get a good stand, you're fighting that all year. Yeah. yeah. And it, you know, here's the thing too, that bothers me, Matt, it's, it's kind of like weeds. I mean, if you, if you let some kosher go, you know, what's going to happen for the next three years or more, you're going to have tons of it out there in that field. You're going to be fighting it for a long time. Uh, with disease, I don't think growers realize how, how much it's just the same. If you let a Rizak problem get worse in your field or a fusarium problem get worse in your field, it's just going to be that much tougher to fight for the next who knows how many years. And if the weather conditions are just wrong, you're going to have a big disaster in your hands. Yep, yep. It's no different than letting a palmer plant go to seed and, you know, it's it's 
inoculum buildup in your soils is, is is no different than than dealing with weeds. So you, you, you're spot on with that. Yeah, so, and except it's underneath the ground, so not all your neighbors see yep, it yep, <laughs> until your yep. crop's about ready to die out there. But uh, yeah, yep. it's it's neat. There are a lot of things that we can control, and I know a lot of times we talk about things we can't, but there are many things we can control in lentils. Uh, we're talking with Matt Smith here with BASF out in Montana. Matt, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. Look forward to talking to you again down the road. Absolutely. Thanks. And uh, everybody out there listening, good luck with your lentil crops this year. Thank you. You bet. Yeah, there are a lot of things we can do. I, I, I'm glad we hit on that seed treatment piece because that's a big one. We're, we're seeing more insect treatments now coming available. Um, you know, like I, I look at in that Montana market where Matt's at, I look at what Taraxa has done on cereals. That's been really nice, knocking out some of the wireworms and other pests. So uh, there, there are a lot of new things coming. There are more products, Matt mentioned, up in Canada that are labeled. So hope to see more of them labeled here in the United States as well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. Are you ready for better efficiency, more productivity, higher yields? Then you're ready for John Deere Precision Technology, which starts with three core pieces. First, a G5 display gives fast views of your work and a window to future technology. A Starfire receiver gives you sub-inch repeatable accuracy without an RTK base station. And a JD-Link modem gives you a live view of your entire operation. Get precise and talk with your John Deere dealer or visit johndeere.com backslash basic. How can Naturals products help you raise bigger and better crops? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. Biologicals, or Naturals as we call them, are impacting every facet of agriculture today, and that will only grow in the future. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals workshop, Wednesday, February 7th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of Naturals products, and we want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bale hay all day. Sand in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, 
Her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today. We're just talking a little about lentils. This is a broadleaf crop. It's a little bit similar to soybeans. And you know what we talk about with soybeans all the time for weed control. Start with the three pre's. You can do the same type of thing with lentils. It's just that lentils are much more sensitive than soybeans. So let me start you with this. Prowl, for example. We talk often about prowl and soybeans. We love prowl. It's an awesome product. Three, three and a half pints, something like that, depending on your situation and the flavor of prowl you're getting, is great. But with lentils, two pints is all you can use with prowl H2O. So it's roughly a two-thirds rate. Now, metribuzin, you can use the normal rate. So we usually talk about one-third of a pound of metribuzin as long as your soil pH is less than 7.4. If it's greater than 7.4, just cut the rate. Okay, usually we're talking a sixth of a pound, eighth of a pound, something like that. So dirt cheap, like a dollar to an acre. So just cut the rate if your pH is 7.4 or above. Now, with PPOs in soybeans, you can use Valor or Authority. Well, you can't in lentils. Sharpen is labeled in many states, and you can get by with three quarters of an ounce of Sharpen. So it's not much, not going to give you a lot of residual there. It's kind of unfortunate we can't use a higher rate, but that's that's it. In soybeans, you can use one ounce. Lentils, three quarters of an ounce, and you got to check with your state to make sure that it's labeled there. Now, there are two other products that I do want to mention for pre's that could be thrown in, depending on your weed spectrum. One is Dual. You could use old Dual at a pint the old dual 80. I mean, there are a bunch of generics out there. So, or I mean, obviously the new duals, um, you, you can use those as well. Just look on the label for the appropriate rate. But typically we're talking about roughly a third of a rate, half rate, something like that. So one pint of a generic is a lot of times what guys are running with. But if you want to run name brand, um, perfectly fine. Name brands come way down in price too, really good. The other one is Pursuit. We're not going to recommend more than a half rate, but you certainly could start with a couple ounces of Pursuit. So, I mean, literally, if you wanted to, and granted, it's almost all cut rates, but you could throw some Prowl out there, some Metribuzin, some Sharpen, some Pursuit, and even a little bit of Group 15 if you wanted to. But we'd suggest getting at least three effective modes of action pre-emerge. It's going to help you a lot. And here's why. Because post, there's nothing. There's nothing. we got some Clearfield lentils, and sure, you can go with Beyond Extra if you want there. Well, all that is is Raptor, and that's not going to kill any ALS-resistant kochia or water hemp or palmer. It's just going to kill weeds that are susceptible to ALS. Uh, it, it, well, it, it'll kill weeds that are susceptible to ALS chemistry is what I'm trying to say. So, And that's it. That's all you've got, and that's only in Clearfield Lentils. So again, you can use that same chemistry, uh, that same ALS type chemistry pursuit. You could run with a half rate pre, and that'd be my suggestion. But if you do have Clearfield lentils, you certainly could go beyond extra post. Otherwise, all we're talking about post emerge for herbicide for a herbicide is clepidum. That's it. So you got grass control, but you're not going to get broadleaf control. 
So in other words, when you hear that, what I want you to be thinking about is, number one, you want to raise the best crop possible to try to choke out as many weeds as you can. And we like higher populations, narrower rows, that kind of thing, just in order to do that. And then along with that, we just want to make sure that you're going into a clean field. If you're going into the weediest field on your farm and you're going to raise lentils, good luck. Because I just don't know how we're going to kill those weeds post-emerge. And there's only so much the prees can do, especially at the reduced rates that you're going to have to use in lentils. Anyway, post-emerge, Darren said it already. We're talking weeds, insects, diseases. we got to think about all those things. Weeds, obviously, that really stand out to people. But like I say, there's not much you can do there. But disease control, insect control... Absolutely, there's something you can do there. There are insecticides that are labeled, and there are fungicides that are labeled. So we often talk about dimethoate as an insecticide, and then as far as a fungicide, I really like Preaxor. We also talk about some biologicals, naturals, foliar fertilizer, that kind of stuff. If you really put put forth some effort with your lentil crop, it can turn out well. But I want to start out really maybe even a year or two before we always want to think about how are we doing in the soil with overall fertility, balance, total pounds, that kind of thing. I go back to what we always talk about in soybeans, potassium, potassium, potassium. That really helps those legume crops and lentils falls into that category. So if you've got a low potassium field, I mean, your lentils might do fine, but they're probably going to lodge And the yield and the quality just isn't quite going to be there. So we'd really encourage you, make sure you get your fertility levels up, not just for the corn on your farm or maybe the wheat, whatever your heart is into. uh, Think about the other crops too. They need fertility as well. And a lot of people talk about, oh, soybeans are a good scavenger crop. And I'll hear people talk about, you know, all these different crops as good scavengers. I'm like, hey, wait a second. When you talk about a crop like lentils or soybeans, they don't have near the root system as corn. Corn is a way better scavenger crop for nutrients than almost anything else out there because it has so many more roots. So anyway, just think about that. I'd also say if you want to look at in terms of total nutrients, how many you need, you can go to the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app. You can punch in lentils if you like. And unfortunately, we don't have the micronutrient information, but we at least have NPK and sulfur And this is info we've gotten from the International Plant Nutrition Institute. We've worked together with them to develop this app. It's free, so you can go look up whatever crop you're raising, whatever your yield goal is, and you can see how many nutrients you actually need. But again, you may be surprised when you start looking at potassium with any of these broadleaf crops like lentils or soybeans, the figure's going to be big. All right, again, that's the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app if you want to check that out. Okay, let's get back to the Ag PhD mailbag. All right, Brian. Uh, I had a few questions about potassium and figuring out how to go from parts per million to percentage. And um, I guess just walk, can you walk through that example again? And I'm just trying to think if no, there's anything I can't, different No, I can't figure that. it out to percentage because I don't have the rest of the information. If we're going to percentage, I, I have to know how much magnesium do I have, how much sodium do I have, Uh, calcium. I I mean, I I have many other things that I need to know and how acid my soil is. So nope, I can't figure that out. But do you have a specific question that we're after here for a conversion? Well, this one is from Dan and he said, all right, on page 17 of your books that you had for your soils clinic this year, I'm looking at the 
the uh, plan to raise base saturation K. Okay. Is that calculation only specific for that particular example, or would that calculation work if I just plug my own numbers from my soil test? It'll work for anything. So basically, let's put it this way. Uh, I'll make this fairly simple. I'll give. I'll come up with my own example. Okay. So let's say that we're at two percent base saturation K. All right, and our goal is four. Now, this won't get you exact, but this will at least get you close, okay? Let's say we're at 200 parts per million right now. All you need to do is say, all right, if I'm trying to get to 4, you just take your 200 parts per million times 4 divided by 2. It's literally that simple. So, in other words, your target then is, hey, we got to get to 400 parts per million. It's pretty easy. And again, it won't be exactly that, but it'll, it'll be relatively close. Let me also say, uh, a couple of days ago, I was out in western Nebraska, and we were talking about nitrates and running through soil tests and everything else, and I had the question come up, and it was this. It was, hey, I've always been told that all I need to look at is parts per million, and base saturation doesn't matter. Look, it's it's at least partly true, and, and here's what I mean by that. Ultimately, with base saturation, what we're trying to figure out is the balance of nutrients in the soil. So in other words, if you know what the right parts per million is that you need to get to and you're willing to do it, then you really don't technically need to look at the base saturation test. It's just that, I'll put it to you this way. When I talk to most farmers, a lot of people don't normally read soil tests. They go, I don't, I don't even know what I'm looking at here, so help me out. And I will use the words, you need to balance the nutrients in your soil. And then that's really when I lose people. Okay, So I find it much more difficult to just be talking about parts per million. I find it much easier to say, hey, look at base saturation also, because you want to get your nutrients in balance. And if with the base saturation test, it's a simple way to look at balance of nutrients in the soil. It absolutely makes a difference. We'll get to more of your questions coming up next here on Ag PhD Radio. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. 
We'll answer that question at our free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop Thursday, February 8th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep into your best options for control of yield robbing pests, trade options including Extend Flex and Enlist, Fertility, and much more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and more fun, come to the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. Do you want to optimize the amount of plant nutrition provided by the microbes in your soil? Source it. Want to replace 25 pounds of nitrogen and phosphorus per acre? Source it. Looking for a more cost-effective way to unlock your crop's potential and increase ROI? Source it. Easy to handle, apply, and store. To make your fertilizer plan more efficient, source it. Learn more at sound.ag. Planting preparation starts as soon as harvest ends. So do successful at-plant strategies. Put time on your side with at-plant inputs, insights, and innovations that help you make the most of next season's planting pass. You're already thinking about seed, inputs, and crop protection when you plan your season. Include them all in your planter to give yourself an at-plant advantage that pays off at harvest. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio and we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. Our phone lines are open if you have a question, 844-44-AG-PHD. Otherwise, you can email us, radio at agphd.com. This one comes in from Kenneth. He said, all right, guys, how would you apply nitrogen to beans if you're shooting for high yields, need the extra N? Do you use urea? Do you use ammonium sulfate? Do you have to knife it in? What's the best way to feed that soybean crop with N? I don't care what form you use or how you get it out there. It just has to get down into the soil somehow, some way, so it's in the root zone. So in other words, you can use whatever you want, lay it on the soil surface if you're getting rain. If you're not getting rain, then you'd have to inject it. If you're really not getting rain, you might say, okay, I got to get it out there much earlier and I'm going to use some type of controlled release nitrogen like ammonium sulfate or there are many other products out there that will release slower over more time. So we don't really care. We just know that when that plant needs a lot of nitrogen is about mid-season. Once you start getting into especially potting, oh boy, you better have a lot of nitrogen there. Now, as I say that, In a lot of fields across the United States and Canada, we have high levels of organic matter, and we're not shooting for big-time yield goals. If you're shooting for 40, 50, 60 bushel beans and you have 3 to 5% organic matter, there's very little chance you're going to need extra nitrogen beyond an inoculant. However, if let's say you have light soil and you're going for 100 bushel beans, low organic matter... um, yeah, you I, you probably want to double inoculate to start with, but beyond that, I'd be getting some nitrogen on in season at some point. All right, thanks for the question. Uh, this one comes in from Bradley. He said, there are so many phosphorus tests out there. We're getting P2 Bray tests. Is that equivalent to the Malik test or close to it that you talk about? Yes. It's not going to be exact, but that's roughly where you're at. The P2 and the Malik 3 are going to tell you not just what's available today. They're going to tell you what's hopefully going to be available over the course of the next growing season, 
plus what's available today. Whereas the P1 or weak Bray test, along with the Olson test, they just tell you what's available today. Okay, uh, this one comes in from M. I want to ask you guys about Lyme. Here's a few numbers, and then tell me if I'm correct on this. So first of all, I've heard you guys say before, don't apply more than 2,400 pounds of calcium per acre. Of actual calcium, not Lyme. Yep. Okay, I have uh, 1,163 pounds per ton of ECCE that equates to 4,000 pounds max no, nope. uh, that's not that's not calcium. That's not cal. I, I need to know how much calcium's in there. Uh, it, calcium carbonate equivalent is not calcium. That's equivalent. We need what we're talking about is actual calcium. So my guess is you probably like us don't have all that much to get up to twenty four hundred pounds on our farm with the water treatment line we're using. We could we'd have to be at near seven tons. So it is a crazy amount. So if you don't know the pounds, you might know the percentage because a lot of times they'll tell you what percent is actual calcium in your lime. And if you want to send us your lime test, if you go, eh, I'm not exactly sure what I'm looking at here, just send us your lime test and then we can help you out. But the big reason why we talk about that limit on calcium is if you start getting even near that level, you're going to run into more tie-up of other nutrients. Iron ties up usually first, but there are other nutrients that can tie up as well. So this is part of the reason why we will often say you want to lime, and quite frankly, you want to do most things on the farm in moderation. Because if you overdo it, oh, sure, now you may fix one problem, but then you created yourself another. And we've done that. So I'm just speaking from firsthand experience here. Just take it a little slower. So let's just here, just as a quick example, let's say you're at five for soil pH and you're trying to get to at least six, hopefully in the sixes. And you go, well, I'd have to put on a whole big slug of lime in one shot. Oh, why? Why don't you over the next five years, for example, split it up a little bit, put on a third every couple of years or half once and the other half three years from now or something like that. Just spread it out over time and then you'll be in better shape. And also I would say if you're no-till, now you've had to lay it on the soil surface. you got a lot of stuff in a small area. If you're in no-till, that's where you really need to spread it out. If you're tilling it in and especially if you're deep tilling it in, you know, you can probably get by with a little bit more because you've spread it out in your soil. And I'm not saying you can't lime in no-till. You can. It'll work. It's just you want to do a, do it in moderation. Do it in small chunks, and then you're in good shape. So this is also why we want you soil testing on a fairly regular basis, because otherwise, if all of a sudden you go, well, I got a 4.3 pH. You know what? That didn't happen overnight. That happened over the last probably 10 years, maybe more. So if you keep monitoring it and maintaining it, then you shouldn't have to go with such great big shots. All right. The other part of his question was uh, explain why you don't lime until you're below about a 5.9 if your recommended range is somewhere in the 6.5 to 6.8 for pH. Couple so, of reasons. Same kind of thing that Brian was just talking about. There, we don't want to overdo things, which we have be one had part. before. The other side of it is we've been dry for three and a half years now, and every fall our 
our own people say, oh boy, it's really hard pushing in the ground. The ground's dry and everything. Should we keep soil testing? I go, yes, we're still soil testing. I will just take that into account on my end, knowing that pH will probably be a little bit on the low side on the test, and so will potassium. So if I have a 5.9 on my test this year, what was it in reality? Eh, I'd guess it was probably a 6.1 or 6.2. So that's part of what enters into all of that. So anyway, yeah, if we're below a 5.9, and and this year I might I think I even told our guys five eight I I was being even more conservative because we were real dry, so that's that's a big part of it. Okay. Oh hey, sorry. There is one last thing. If let's say it was going to be alfalfa, um, then we want to get that pH to at least six eight. I would say. So uh, we would look at that soil hopefully at least a couple years in advance, and we go oh okay let's get that pH up. And we've got to be higher on alfalfa than we do on other crops. Soybeans, we've actually found, you know, if you're down at five, nine or six, it's not that bad. I mean, yeah, it may not be absolutely ideal, but it's not bad. Corn, I mean, we, we would really, really like that in the sixes. You get in the fives, it's hurting you on corn. But I'll tell you what, alfalfa, if you were in the fives, you're crushed. 90% of your tonnage may be gone. All right. Uh, question comes in from Brad down in Iowa. He said, um, soil testing question here, guys. We switched to Malik 3 tests this year at Midwest Labs instead of the DTPA that we were using in the past. Our soil test values for P, K, and manganese all seem to jump 30 to 40%. I'm just curious what you've seen as I, I hear you've made some of these switches as well. Yeah, so... PK and manganese. Oh, yeah. Okay. So manganese, there's no set percentage going to jump that it's going to jump because there is no correlation between the Malik test and the DTPA, which is why we like the Malik. Um, we haven't found that the DTPA test actually correlates to applied manganese or manganese that's actually in your soil. All it correlates to, in our experience, on now tens of thousands of data points, all we found is it correlates to soil pH. So in other words, the higher your pH on man- and, and you have a manganese test, the lower that manganese level will be. The lower your pH, the higher the manganese test will show. That's it. So throw that out the window. Your old results, to me, don't matter. All I care about is the malic. Now, the phosphorus and the potassium, I, I have never seen them go up 30 to 40%. Now, if you're, So what you want to look at on the phosphorus test is the P2 test, not the P1, the P2, because that's what... Malik 3 correlates to. So the the strong beret test, that's telling you what's available today plus a portion of what's in reserve, plus what they believe will come available during the course of the next growing season. And with potassium, the numbers we typically see are about equal on Malik 3 versus the standard Midwest Labs test. So, I, I, I mean... It could be part of your build program. If you're doing a build program, Brad, where more came available, you could have hit right in a spot. Well, I guess if you're seeing that all over, probably not, but maybe you hit in a band or something like that. But That one that one concerns me. The, the phosphorus, I think you're just comparing apples to oranges there. Compare it to the P2, and they should be fairly similar. But the potassium one, that one would be strange. So if you have some soil tests you want us to look at, we sure can. All right, thanks for the feedback. And, and yeah, once you start doing a lot of soil testing, it's kind of neat to take a look at some of these trends on your farm and see what's going on. Uh, I know for, for us that's been interesting over the last number of years that we've been doing a pretty extensive soil testing on our farm. 
Well, thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.